Acts chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corneth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood will be on your own heads, and I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the, ma settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from court. Then they all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court. But Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centria because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. Thank you, Marcella. Good morning, Encounter Church. Marcella, I gave you a passage that had some tongue twisters in there, didn't it, right? I did like how you pronounced the word Aquila, though. I'm going to assume that's the Spanish pronunciation of, a, of, of Aquilia. 
because Aquilia, I thought, drinks Diet Coke, right? I thought tequila, yeah, anyway, that's a bad, I, I thought being from Latin America, they would get that. Maybe that's where that was from, but thank you, Marcella, for reading God's Word uh, there. I do want to just say, um, as a church family, uh, we weep with those who weep and, and uh, rejoice with those who rejoice, and this morning, uh, many of us, if you've been following along in the prayer guides that we make available each week, have been praying for Yana Bean's niece, Katie, who's been battling cancer for a number of years now, and uh, Katie met Jesus face-to-face uh, yesterday morning, uh, shortly after 9 o'clock, and so be praying uh, for Yana's family. Uh, Yana also has a sister who also is uh, battling cancer, and uh, praying for the Lord's intervention there, uh, and that actually Yana's sister is the one whose daughter, uh, Katie, passed away, and so just a lot of pain uh, in that family, and so um, pray for Yana's family, pray for uh, Katie's husband and children, and uh, can I just pray uh, right now uh, for them, uh, just lift the family up. God, uh, Lord, we we trust in you, and we come to you in these uh, grieving, these grieving hours, these grieving moments. And as a church family, uh, we join with Yana and her family in grieving the loss of Katie. But God, we are grateful for Katie's faith in you, and that um, your persevering love for Katie. Uh, brought Katie safely home to your presence. And Lord, that her body has been completely rid of the cancer and that she is now there with you. We're grateful that her faith has been made sight. But God, Lord, in these, these hours of loss, Lord, I pray that you would comfort uh, Yana's family and especially uh, Katie's mother, and all of the emotions that she must be experiencing now too. Um, even thinking of uh, just that reality that she too, uh, even in uh, short hours, short time, we don't know, Lord, uh, might even be there. Uh, rejoicing with Katie in the presence, in your presence. And so, God, there is so much heartache uh, in this family. And uh, so, God, during this time, just point them. Lord, may they lean into your presence, into your comfort. And, um, God, even this morning, uh, through these words of truth that are uh, given to us here in your word, God, I pray that uh, they would uh, minister to Yana and minister even, uh, that she would be able to then minister to other members of her family uh, during this time. And uh, so God, thank you, uh, Lord, that you hear our prayers, that you love us, that you carry your children safely home. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we find ourselves here in, in Acts chapter 18, and oftentimes, uh, I know they call this a, a podium or a pulpit. This morning, I feel like it's maybe a little bit more of a workbench for me as uh, we even try to just hammer out Acts chapter 18 
and, uh, and really try to be encouraged by it, allow God's word and the truth of God's word to minister to our hearts and to challenge us. Uh, as, as Marcella read, and, and you probably didn't pick up on it necessarily as you read, but uh, as, as she read, but within Acts chapter 18, we, actually, we get this sense that Paul is experiencing a, um, a season of discouragement, that Paul is experiencing, that he's walking through a, a season in which he finds himself to be a bit weary. Uh, do you ever find yourself discouraged? Right? Have you ever uh, gone through seasons of discouragement, days of discouragement, maybe even just days where you are where your heart, where you physically maybe you are weary, uh, and maybe at times you just kind of want to throw in the towel and, and call it quits. I'm often reminded of a scripture passage that I, I actually was first made aware of when I was in high school. I, be, I, I remember this because on our youth mission trip, which is wonderful, the students did a great job last Sunday presenting their testimonies of the trip, and we're grateful for them. But I remember when I was in high school, uh, we took a trip, a mission trip, to several different foreign countries. And on uh, this one particular mission trip, we had printed on the back of our trip t-shirts uh, this passage, this verse, where it said, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And let's keep in mind that it was the Apostle Paul who wrote these words, who penned these under the inspiration of the Spirit. He gives this instruction, don't become weary, right? Because it's true. Even in doing good, in following the Lord, we can at times grow discouraged and find ourselves, our hearts, troubled. But Paul gives us this instruction there at the end. He says, don't give up. Don't give up. And maybe this morning, this is a word just for you that you need to hear. This big idea being don't give up as we're going to see because God is with you. Don't give up. Because God is with you. At this point in our study, again, I've mentioned it and, and we'll dig into it more deeply here, but we find, we find the Apostle Paul, he is going through a season of discouragement. He's going through a, a season of weakness and fear. Now again, you, you might remember, right, a number of other, there's a number of other books in the New Testament and many of those books are some of the Apostle Paul's letters that were written to some of these churches that the Apostle Paul is ministering to as he's going on these various missionary journeys, right? We, we understand that through the book of Acts, we are learning how the gospel, the good news of a risen Savior, how these witnesses, they're taking this good news and they're spreading it, uh, there certainly there first Jesus the instruction was here to Jerusalem then to Judea Judea and then to Samaria then to the the ends of the earth and what what we're learning is we're we're just watching as God's word the truth of the good news of a risen Savior one person at a time right 
That's how God's word spreads. That's how the good news spreads. One person at a time. Word of mouth, it's being spread. And so what Paul, the Apostle Paul, is doing is he's been taking these different missionary journeys. The book of Acts details these different missionary journeys, and it, and it details where he goes, and he will visit these different cities, oftentimes going into the synagogue and proclaiming that, that this long-awaited Messiah, he's risen, it's Jesus Christ. He's trying to point all of these people who are reciting this scripture week in and week out. He's saying, Jesus is the fulfillment of these words that you are reciting. And so he's going around telling people about this, and, and it's these different missionary journeys. Here in chapter 18, what we find is Paul is visiting the city on one of the, on this his second missionary journey, he's visiting the city of Corinth. Now, if you are familiar with the New Testament, that word Corinth uh, might kind of ring a bell and cause you to think of two other books of the Bible there in the New Testament, which might be what? First and second Corinthians. First and second Corinthians were letters that that in the future from chapter 18 that Paul would have written back to these believers whom he is ministering to here in chapter 18. See, see, if we were to, like if you were to stretch out the book of Acts as a timeline along here and you would mark out all of these different places that Paul would visit, to many of those different places you would be able to attach letters right? For, for example, the book of Philippians was a letter Then, after Paul visited the city of Philippi during his travels here in the book of Acts. Then go, later on, he writes back to the church of Philippi in the book, in that letter that we call the book of Philippians. So much of the New Testament, many of those letters are directly tied to these cities that Paul is visiting. Now, I tell you all of that because if we look at 1 Corinthians, all right, go ahead and turn in your Bibles. Hopefully, you have a copy open there in front of you. Uh, if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we, 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 we are given a little, bit of a, a little bit more insight on what Paul's state was uh, as he came to Corinth. And so we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, again, a letter that down the road from chapter 18 that we're studying of Acts, right? Later on, Paul writes this letter back to these people that we'll learn that he's ministering to. And what he does here in verses 1 through 5 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is he shares with them the struggles, some of the struggles that he's experiencing. It's not detailed in Acts, but, Luke, but Paul gives us insight here. So follow along with me there in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Here's what Paul says. He says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. All right, so when he says, when I came to you, that's Acts chapter 18. All right. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I, proclaim, as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. He says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now look at this in verse 3. What does he say? He says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. 
So Paul, according to this letter, later on as he's detailing, he says, I came to you, there in Acts 18, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. He says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. You know, don't we oftentimes tend to put the Apostle Paul kind of up on a pedestal, don't we? We think, oh man, if only I could have the courage of a man like the Apostle Paul. If only I could storm the gates of hell like the Apostle Paul. If only I could form arguments that would persuade people and that would poke holes in all of the arguments that other people, if only I could be like the Apostle Paul. And sometimes we compare ourselves with that and we think that the Apostle Paul was just this, this, this mighty, mighty man of God who never had a bad day. Have you ever thought that about the Apostle Paul? But here we see, based upon this letter that he writes back to the believers here in Corinth, that city, he says, boy, when I came to you that first time, he says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. Now, so you keep that in mind, and that's going to, that's going to make help us Kind of, it's going to help make it a little bit more sense when God actually comes to Paul, right? And, and let's just go ahead and kind of take a sneak peek. It's like you're reading the book and you're, it's like you're, you're jumping a couple chapters ahead here. But, but you look here and it says there in verse 9, so this, is, it, this helps make sense. It says one night, right, in verse 9, as Paul's there in the city of Corinth, it says one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. And what did God say? Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. No one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Now, we'll look at that a, a, a little bit more here in just a few moments. But what we see is really the context of Acts chapter 18 is that we have a wearied witness. We have a man who is filled with fear in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, I came to you with great fear, so much so that my body was nearly trembling. Now, I wonder, as I thought about this, you know, I thought, what would, what would cause this great hero of the faith that we all look up to? We say, man, if only I could be like Paul. Like, what would cause him to become so weary Right? What would cause him to be filled with fear? Why would he be almost trembling? Why would he be wearied and discouraged? And so I think there's a, maybe a few hints that, that maybe we can apply here, that maybe even apply to our own lives. I do wonder if maybe just the fact that, that the Apostle Paul was just, he was a hard worker. He was a hard worker. We know that Paul there in these verses of Acts chapter 18, in those early verses, as he meets these, these friends, Aquila and Priscilla, who are tent makers, we see that, that the Apostle Paul was bivocational for seasons of his ministry. And so he's, he's working hard to earn a living to provide for his needs so that in the evening hours he can though, then go and tell people about Jesus and debate in the synagogues there on the weekend. And so we, I kind of wonder, right, is... The Apostle Paul, he's a, he's a hard worker. I, I wonder that if just over a period of time, 
as he's going around on all of these missionary journeys, he's just becoming worn out. I mean, it is true, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should be some of the hardest working people. We should, to the glory of God, not that we're addicted to hard work, not that somehow we are allowing it to become our sense of of who we are or our purpose, but instead we should be hard workers. We should work hard in our jobs to God's glory, right? That our boss should should look at us and see us as some of the hardest uh, workers, the best employees there at the place of where we work. We should also work hard in our areas of discipleship and ministry. When we serve at the church, that we should do so serving the Lord. We should be working hard in every area of oversight and responsibility. All of it should be done for the benefit of God's kingdom and the good news of Jesus. But yet we also understand that when you skip your Sunday afternoon nap, that's just a little plug, all right? Y'all can take a Sunday afternoon nap this afternoon. When you don't take time to rest, that sometimes that hard work can cause you to become weary and even at times lead you to discouragement. And so I wonder, maybe just Paul was just working, working really, really hard and he'd become discouraged in that. I also wonder, maybe his busy schedule. You think about that, right? He's going from one city to the next, from another city to the next city, all, all throughout for, for years upon time, for, for three or more years, Paul is on these missionary journeys. In fact, it's, it's, it's estimated that between the years of A.D. 49 and A.D. 52, the years in which many of these missionary trips took place, it's estimated that Paul traveled approximately 2,000 miles by foot. Right? He didn't call up the Uber, okay? He didn't get on his little motor scooter. He traveled nearly 2,000 miles by foot. And then on top of that, it's estimated that he, he traveled about 1,000 miles via boat. Lots of time on those waves, right? Riding the waves. That means, so, so think about this, at this point in time, all right, as he's doing these, these different missionary journeys, uh, it's, it's believed that Paul was about 51, 50 to 51 years old. So picture this. Paul, if we put it on our scale, Paul walked over the course of those couple of years, Paul walked to Los Angeles to tell people about Jesus. And some of us struggle to to walk across our backyard to tell people about Jesus. Paul walked 2,000 miles, and then if you could picture it, then he sails another another 1,000 miles. And so we can only imagine, right, he is just, he's weary. He has this busy schedule. I understand we are not traveling, we're not regularly traveling from city to city, but I think a lot of us in our in our schedules, and we're not even necessarily doing this, right, to tell people about Jesus. We're just doing this because these are the busy schedules we've created, right? We're going from one appointment to the next, from one sports practice to the next sports practice. 
Maybe some of us, we are going from one ministry opportunity to another ministry opportunity. Or, or maybe you're preparing one hospitality meal and then you learn that someone else needs another hospitality meal. And you're like, when will these hospitality meals ever end? And the answer is when Jesus returns in heaven, then you'll be fed a marriage feast of the Supper of the Lamb. And that'll be a wonderful meal of hospitality. But we under the, understand that, that right doing the work of the ministry Hosting people in your homes, lending a hand to those people in need, caring for those who, who need that extra assistance. Sometimes our calendars seem to overflow with all of these good opportunities, but yet even in some of these life-giving ministry opportunities, our souls can find themselves tired and just plain worn out. And oftentimes when we're tired and when we're worn out, discouragement sneaks in. Another one then is I wonder if maybe Paul was experiencing some puzzling hindrances, right? You might recall that while Paul was in Asia Minor before he arrives to Corinth, Corinth, he actually wanted to go minister in the province of Asia, but the Holy Spirit said no, right? Did not allow him to do so. So then Paul makes a course, adjudge, a course adjust, adjustment and, and he's thinking, well, maybe I should go to Bithynia, and the, the Holy Spirit says, no, you, you're not allowed to go there right now either. And Paul is probably blowing Paul's mind. And Paul's thinking, but wait a second. I'm wanting to take the good news of Jesus to all of these different places. And I'm, I, I think this is a good idea, a good plan. But yet you're saying you're hindering me from doing that. Maybe there are puzzling hindrances that are wearing you out. Maybe you're thinking, but what I want to do for the Lord is good. Right? My motives are pure in this, but it seems like I'm just hitting a brick wall all the time. I also wonder if maybe something else that discouraged Paul was the worldliness that he experienced. The worldliness of the cities that he was going to. We understand, again, right there, he says, in verse 1, it says, Paul left Athens, which we, right, we learned that a, a couple weeks ago. Athens was, was filled with idol worship. So much so, they tried to cover all of their bases, didn't they, and said, here's an idol to the unknown gods, just in case we missed one. Whoever it is, we got it covered, right? So he's going from all of these cities that were filled with, with worldliness. Corinth was was a city that was located between two important harbors. And because of this strategic location of the city of Corinth, it had extensive commerce, and it was, it was celebrated for its great wealth. It was celebrated also as being an entertainment city. Corinth would have been considered almost a, a sports center of the ancient world. Corinth was notorious for its, its luxury, it was notorious for the looseness of morals. In fact, in, in the city of Corinth, famous games were celebrated and the gladiators, right? We've seen those, those types of accounts in the movies, haven't, they? haven't we? There in the city of Corinth, these gladiators, they were popular. They were almost idolized as they, as they enjoyed their bloody sports. We also know there in the city of Corinth that Greek gods were worshipped by the Corinthians and they engaged in vile religious rites. Taking, taking part, many of the people there in that city, taking part in activities under the name of religion that are too vile to even speak of. 
right? So Paul, he's going into all these cities, and we can only imagine just the weight of the worldly sin that's all around him. I wonder, do you ever find yourself weighed down by discouragement? Or is your own soul found to be weary as you consider the worldliness of the world in which we live in? As we watch the helpless state of those who are caught in the stranglehold of sin. Does that ever cause, does that ever serve as a means of, does that ever discourage you? And you think, Lord Jesus, come soon because it seems like the sin is only getting more sinful. That the darkness is only growing more dark. We also know, right? So what else may have caused Paul to be discouraged that he would write them and said, when I came to you originally, I was, I was weary, I was fearful, I was even trembling. We also know that uh, Paul experienced a lot of rejection. I think many of us have experienced the rejection of family members and friends who refuse to receive the gospel. Right? I, I know some of us, right, we, we might still have relationships with some of those family members. Uh, we've shared the gospel, and, and maybe they've re- rejected the gospel, but you might not say they've necessarily rejected you. But I would say there are also some of us in here who, in sharing the gospel with other people, not only have they rejected God's word and his offer of salvation, but they also have rejected you. And we know how difficult that is. Right? You, you look there at verse 18, or, or verse 6, rather, here of chapter 18. Go ahead, look there at your copy of God's word. And we see this rejection take place. It says, but when they opposed Paul, and they became abusive to him. What did Paul do? He shook out his clothes in protest to them and, and said to them, your blood be on your own hands. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Right? As, Paul, as Paul is sharing the gospel with some of these, these people, these Jewish people in, in Corinth, their response was almost a, a nearly organized act of opposition against Paul's ministry. It included hostility and verbal slander. Right? These words are strong in the Greek, and they're used in military terminology to describe drawing up a battle plan with the intention of mortal conflict, of death. We see that there's a picture of intense spiritual warfare that's taking place. And Paul is receiving hurtful rejection. Right? No matter how it happens or how much we try to convince ourselves otherwise, being rejected by other people, especially those whom we love, being rejected is hard to overcome. We tend to take rejection quite personally. The words of rejection stick to our souls. The hurtful attitudes toward us are hard to dislodge from, from our hearts. And so I, I wonder if maybe Paul was just worn out of being rejected another time. 
Paul's like, how many times do I just have to be rejected? Another one, another reason why I, I wonder if maybe he was wearied and discouraged is because of persecution. Right, time and time again, Paul experienced persecution and opposition. Over 20 times, you can see it detailed throughout the book of Acts. Paul is being persecuted. And we're not just talking like someone saying mean words to them, just verbal assaults. We're, we're actually talking, right, at that one place um, in, in Acts chapter 14. There in Lystra, he was stoned and he was left for dead. Right? So we're, we're talking significant persecution. Now, we know that persecution against us because of our faith, right? That can be a double-edged sword because we understand that it will happen. Jesus gave us that promise that because they hate me, they'll hate you also, right? Not only will they hate, hate, they'll, they'll hate the messenger who brings my message. So we understand it. Again, it's that double-edged sword. We understand it, that, that, that it will happen. We understand that we should be honored to be able to suffer like our Lord Jesus, in fact, even later in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul writes these words to Timothy. He says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Let me say that again. Young people, listen to me. If you desire to live a godly life and to follow Jesus you will suffer persecution. Don't be surprised by it. So we understand it's that double-edged sword, right? When, when Paul and Silas, when they were, when they were beaten for their faith, they, they left rejoicing, considering that they had, had suffered with the Lord. But on the, other, on the other side, on the other tip of this double-edged sword, we also realize that persecution is painful. It stings, it cuts, it has a way of grinding us down. You see, the goal of persecution is to, cause up, is, is to cause us to give up our efforts in sharing the gospel. It's to, actually, it's, it's to fill us with fear. And, and we wonder, right? After one beating after another, as Paul arrives in Corinth, and he says, I came to you weary, fearful and trembling. We wonder if maybe some of that also was just the fact that he had endured so much persecution. He's like, can I catch a break here? And then uh, finally, and another reason, I wonder if he's wearied and discouraged. And this sounds crazy, doesn't it? But he actually experiences, like along the way, he is experiencing what some would consider ministry success. We know that God was blessing Paul's efforts in different ways, that people were getting saved, that churches were being established, and that the gospel was moving forward. I want you to see, there, look there at verse 6, okay, that Paul, as he's there, as he's there uh, testifying, as he's preaching to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah, that's at the end of verse 5, so go ahead and look there at your Bibles here. It's important that you, that you just follow along. All right, Paul's there in the synagogue, He's preaching, testifying to the Jews. Jesus is the Messiah. The people then in verse 6, it says, but when they opposed Paul and became abusive, what did Paul do? He shook out his clothes in protest. Okay, that would have been an, an ancient act of saying, if you've rejected me, then I'm rejecting you. 
And he says to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it from now on. I will go to the Gentiles. Paul is saying, I've tried my best. He said, but now you're responsible for on, on your own. You've heard the gospel. Whether you respond or not, that's up to you. But we notice then in verse 7, this is, this is so, I don't know, it's almost like God just has a, has a sense of humor. So Paul leaves the synagogue after being rejected. And what does it say he, do? he does? In verse 7 it says, then Paul left the synagogue and where did he go? He went next door. <laughs> he just, he, he's like, okay, I'm out of here. I, I, know, I know there's someone over here who's friendly toward the gospel. And so he goes to this, this house and there, and it says it's a worshiper of God, Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. And who happened to be there at that house but Crispus, which I think is just a fascinating name for a man. Crispus is like, how do you like your, your bacon? Crispus, please. So we have Crispus, the, see, this is what comes through my head as I'm, as I'm doing all of these, all this sermon prep, right? This is the, the workbench here this morning. So we have Crispus, the synagogue leader. He's, he's, not, he's not one of the ones who had rejected Paul there in the synagogue. Instead, he's hanging out at the, at the house next door. So Paul goes over there, and do you see what happened? Paul goes to Crispus. He goes there, the synagogue leader, and what happens? He shares the good news of Jesus, and what happens? Crispus, the synagogue leader, you might say the president of the synagogue association. What does he do? He believes. His entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized now, you're going to understand that later on in this chapter, as Marcella read, we, we, we learn about this guy by the name of Sosthenes. It, it is a tongue twister, right? That, that he is actually described as being the leader of the synagogue. We get this sense that Crispus, because he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has to resign his position of being the president of the synagogue association. And so, so it's almost as if this cost Crispus his job and Crispus' family, his entire household believes, and many other. So we get this sense that Paul is really having success, right? Even though he's, he comes, he's weak, he's weary, he's fearful. He's ha he has this ministry success. And you might think, oh man, if anything is going to encourage a brother in the Lord, it's seeing people come to know Jesus. But it's immediately after that that we see God needing to come to Paul and provide him some encouragement. And to say, Paul, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Right, it's, it's because we understand that sometimes, uh, right, even ministry, quote unquote, if you, I, I almost hesitate to use that, but if you wanna call it, quote unquote, ministry success, that there's a certain weight that comes with that that we tend to put on our own selves. And we think, well, somehow I have, to, I have to keep this up. And in that, there's a weariness. 
and even at times seeing that success because in your mind, right, Paul's probably like, I'm tired of doing this, but yet God is still using me. It's like, I wish I would be just an utter failure and then I would have an easy exit out, right? People would understand why, why I'm just thrown in the towel. But even with that ministry success, there's a weariness that comes with it. Well, I, we're, we're going to just talk briefly through, okay? It seems that even in Paul's weariness and his fearfulness and his trembling, that in different ways God provides several different means of encouragement. And there's just about four here, and we'll hit them rather quickly, spend most of our time there in verses 10 and 11, or 9 and 10 rather. I think uh, one means of encouragement that God brought as Paul shows up to Corinth, he's weary, he's fearful, he's trembling, is that God sent him good godly friends. That God sent good godly friends. He sent uh, this husband and wife team, Aquila and Priscilla. He sent them to Corinth. They came from Italy. They, you might say that they were religious refugees that the Emperor Claudius, as it's detailed there in those early verses of chapter 18, the Emperor Claudius had expelled all the Jews from Rome, and so no doubt the Jews felt it unsafe to stay there. And Aquila and Priscilla, they take refuge here in the city, or they're making their way to Corinth, through Corinth at least. And God, God brings to Paul's side these fellow tent makers along with him that, that, that end up, and if you read the book of Acts, as we will, we'll see Aquila and Priscilla mentioned numerous times throughout the remainder portion books of, book of the Acts. They're also mentioned in other of Paul's letters. In fact, in Romans chapter 16, verse 3, Paul describes Aquila and Priscilla in this way. Listen, he says, My fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks to whom not only do I give thanks but also the churches of the Gentiles what type of godly friends were Aquila and Priscilla that God sent at just the right time to come along the Apostle Paul who was in a season of discouragement and filled with fear and trembling he sends Aquila and Priscilla a husband and wife tag team dynamic duo who was willing to risk their necks for another brother in the Lord. See, God uses good believing friends as a means of encouragement to his people. And church, this week, I wonder who can you come alongside and encourage. I mean that like that is that that's a that's a description of someone who cares deeply for the other but for the other brother or sister in the Lord. They were willing to risk their own necks. Who can you come alongside? I think another way in which maybe Paul was encouraged was through the generosity of the believers, right? You, we look back through here and we see there in verse 5 that when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, we see that Paul now, he, he kind of hangs up for a period of time his tent-making business because it said now Paul is able to devote himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was 
the Messiah. Well, again, we get, we, we get some hints of what takes place here, right? It, Luke, here in chapter 18, only tells us that Paul and Silas arrived, and now Paul is able to devote himself more fully to the preaching, the study and the preaching of God's word. But later, in one of Paul's letters in 2 Corinthians, again, we get this understanding of what takes place here because Paul actually details, he says that the brothers from Macedonia, the brothers and sisters, right, he says, he says that when the brothers who came from Macedonia, they supplied what I needed. In other words, Silas and Timothy here, not, they're not only coming from Macedonia, but they're coming with their pockets lined with cash that had been generously donated by the believers in Macedonia. And so we see that Paul then is, is, had to have been encouraged by the generosity of some of these other believers, because the generosity of the believers then allowed Paul to focus more time and energy on the ministry, and I wonder as a church, right, how are we being generous with one another? Right? How, when we see needs within the body of believers, are we digging deeply into our pockets when we know that there's a brother or sister in the Lord who, who is faithful in serving the Lord, and we understand by giving to them generously, we might serve as an encouragement to them. I can only imagine that Paul would have been encouraged by that. The next one then is this, all right, in God's promises here. In fact, let, let me go ahead and jump to, I think we see some, I'm going to set divine favor off to the side just for the, for the sake of time. I don't have time to, to get through that, but uh, email me and I can tell you more about that later. Maybe I'll send an email out and explain that a little bit more. But we see here God's promises, okay? How, what's another means of encouragement? We see it here is indeed God's promises Look there at verse 9. Again, this is probably one of the, the highlights here of this chapter. That when you understand the context, verses 9 and 10 are of such great importance. It says, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. And what did he say? He said, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. So we understand. We can see because, because God addresses that. We see fully that Paul was fearful. That Paul was being tempted to stop his ministry. That, that he was being tempted to no longer go into the synagogues and debate with the other people. He was tempted because God says, no, keep on speaking. And then what else does he say? He says, do not be silent. So really there's three commands here, right? There in, in that first, in verse nine, it says, don't be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent. And then in chapter, in, in verse 10 rather, he follows up each of these commands with a promise. So the first command is this, do not be afraid. And then in verse 10, he says, here's the reason why, here's the promise, why? Because I am with you. Because I am with you. You don't have to be afraid. The, the, the second command then in verse 9 is what? Keep on speaking. What's the second promise then that, that God gives to him? Here's why you can keep on speaking. Why? Because he says no one is going to attack and harm you. Now, right? 
persecution, the goal of persecution is to get Paul and get any of us to stop, to, be, to, to, to stop speaking what is right and true. Paul, again, is probably like, I've had enough persecution. And God gives him this promise. Now, certainly here for the city of Corinth, he says, listen, Paul, I'm going to watch out over you. No one is going to attack and harm you. And then the third command there of verse nine is this, do not be silent. And it's followed up with promise number three there at the end of verse, of, of verse 10. What is it? He says, for I have many people in this city. What is he saying? What's, God, what's God's promise? God is saying there are people in this city who need to hear the good news of Jesus. And if you hold back, if you hold back, then how will they hear? God is telling Paul, essentially he's giving him three important promises. He is giving Paul his presence. He is giving Paul his protection. He is giving Paul his purpose. And maybe this morning you need to hear that in your witnessing because maybe you have become wearied or discouraged in your own witnessing. Maybe you have experienced some of those same hardships or heartaches that Paul has experienced that we described. And maybe these are promises. Maybe this is God's word that you need to hear is that God is with you as you witness. That God will watch over you. That in the end, ultimately, God will indeed protect you. He will carry you through that. And that God has a purpose in your witness. I think a final application here is that it's worth noting that Paul's first, again, what, what we would, what many would consider Paul's first significant success in ministry to the Gentiles came at this time here in chapter 18 because you notice how long did Paul stick around there in Corinth? For another 18 months. For a year and a half. Right? And we see God working through Paul there with Crispus, right? The president of the synagogue association. And, and God continues to use Paul when Paul finds himself at his deepest in one of his lowest points of life. Again, would you, just as I close this, would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 through 11? Again, this is another letter that Paul sends back to Corinth, and I hope that this can be an encouragement to all of us if we find ourselves discouraged or weary in our ministry. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. Again, he, Paul's writing to the, cor the, the believers there in Corinth, the ones who he's ministering to in chapter 18. And this is what he later says. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. Again, the troubles that as he's hightailing it to Corinth, he, he's, he's, he has behind him troubles. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia, for we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that, that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, 
we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and He will deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. So Paul says, man, when I came to you, I was low, I was weary, I was discouraged, I was fearful. He says, I even despaired of life itself. But in that time, Paul says, what happened? God did some of his greatest work. Why? Because Paul says, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. And church, if you find yourself weary or discouraged, burdened, overwhelmed, hear me in these final moments that in, in, his, in his discouragement, Paul chose to fix his hope on the Lord. And God came to Paul and he said, I'll be with you. I'll watch over you. And I have a purpose for you. And God used Paul. God does not need our human strength. He doesn't need our self-confidence. He doesn't need our eloquence of speech to achieve His purposes and to carry out His plan. God works best through our weakness. So don't be afraid. Stop worrying. Stop borrowing tomorrow's troubles or yesterday's problems. Look to Jesus. And be reminded that God loves you. Keep ministering. Keep speaking the name of Jesus Christ. If you stop doing so, your fears will begin to imprison you. And ears will fail to hear the good news. Believe that God is with you. Believe that God will protect you. And believe that your life, even in your darkest hours, will bear some of the greatest fruit. Church, don't give up. God is with you. Let us not grow weary in well-doing, but believe that in due season there will be fruit that is born for those who don't give up. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. And now, God, I ask that your spirit would use your word to encourage our hearts, to strengthen us, to help us, to even if it be just for one more day, 
to not give up. Lord, direct our eyes to Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.